Hi, I'm Jen Sherlock, and welcome to my lifestyle podcast, Live Without a Nest. The podcast showcases people who live fearlessly and have the ambition to create something. I'll showcase change makers who have decided to let go of their safety net in order to survive. So let's jump right in. Hi, everyone. I'm Jen Sherlock. Welcome to Live Without a Net. I'm with a friend and former client, Joe Injimi. He's the founder of Panera's Technologies, and he has a focus in cybersecurity. He's also a professor at Seton Hall, and we've had a great time pitching him over the past month. And I've learned some interesting things about just the way that we handle our security in both business and our personal lives. And he's here to share today his expertise in it. Welcome to the show, Joe. Great. Thanks for having me, Jen. I really appreciate uh, this opportunity to speak. I always like to talk about cybersecurity and technology and, and business in general. So this, this should be fun. No, I'm excited. So we talked a little bit before the interview and you said some of your students don't even know what entrepreneurship is. Um, they reference, you were referencing the show Shark Tank. So tell me about that. Yeah. I mean, like all reality television, uh, I don't think Shark Tank actually reflects reality. Uh, I think it's a lot the business world and the small business world is very different. Uh, you know, it's not just a matter of having an elevator pitch and attracting people. I'm sure that's part of it. But, you know, I've seen, you know, most small businesses that I've encountered are, are more, they take much more time to develop. They are more like an accounting firm or a law firm where they're people-based rather than technology-based. Uh, and probably, I guess the biggest, I don't know, what the word is perhaps agita for me, um, is, you know, the Roman general Sulla had a saying, uh, you know, first you need to pull, learn how to pull the oar before you steer the ship. And that's always kind of been my, uh, one of my mottos. And I think that people just want to get in to own their own business for the sake of owning their own business. But I think it's more about, you know, having a craft, a trade or a, or a, a base of knowledge first. Most small, most even technology small businesses are founded by PhDs. So there's a lot of training in there to get to that point to start that business. Uh, and I think that that's a lot of small business people, they've started out of big companies and then broken off uh, with their own niche. So it takes time. I mean, I think, you know, I, I, inter- I interact with a lot of college kids that they major in entrepreneurship. Like, I don't even know what that is and neither do they, which is kind of scary. And, you know, and I tell them, no, no, you need to learn something first, learn how to do something first. And then, and then after years and, and a lot of mentor, a lot of uh, being a protege and a lot of uh, apprenticeship, then you can, then you probably, then you'll be in a good position to start, uh, to start your own business. So, and I'm not, I mean, I, I guess, you know, we, we see these tech titans like, you know, Mark Zuckerberg and, and all these other guys that, that started in their college dorm and they, uh, they, they became billionaires. And I think, I guess that's what fixates us, but there's a lot more to it. And they got a lot of lucky breaks along the way and, and at the right time and the right minute. It doesn't always work that way. It's a lot of trial and error and it's a lot of learning. And I, I think that people that want to own their own small business, uh, they have to understand that and, and just realize it's a lot of, it's a lot of, from, get, from getting from point A to Z, there's a lot of steps in between. Yeah, I agree. That's good advice. When I was at Villanova, you know, now it's 20 years ago, I guess. 
scary. Um, they didn't even have entrepreneurship at all as a course or anything. And now it seems that most universities across America do have some sort of, of class, if not a major or minor in it. Right, right. And, and the other thing too is I think that when you, when you put your craft first, whatever that is, or your, your specialty first, I think the, the money takes care of itself, the revenue takes care of itself, and the small business will take, ultimately take care of itself too. I mean, the opportunities will present themselves. Just you know, do what you do and do it best, and then the, the structure around it will come into place, whether that be a very good position in a big company or your own business. Yeah, I agree. That's, that's really good advice. So talk about cybersecurity in the state of our world today. Um, we know McDonald's, Volkswagen, and Peloton, as well as, I think you said earlier, the State Department, you know, they've all gotten hacked. Right. What, kind of, what kind of future do we have in store when it comes to cybersecurity? I mean, it's pretty scary stuff. Well, I mean, cybersecurity is going to be the occupational hazard of having a digitized world, right? I mean, we're getting hacked more because we put more, we have more things digitized, whether it be in the cloud, on our computers, on our cell, on our mobile phones. We we live, eat, and sleep a digital economy. Um, you know, it was that this was two years ago. It was pre-COVID, so I was at a. Uh, a, a not a conference. It was like a business dinner type thing. They had a presenter, and it was a bank. And the bank says, "We're not banks. Aren't banks like you think they're anymore? They're now digital companies." And you can almost say that about anything. Government. Oh, it's it's a digital economy, and we're even manufacturing things that are far more tangible are much more digitized. So that means we're passing more sensitive information, more sensitive processes through the wires, for lack of a better word. So it makes us vulnerable to cybersecurity. And um, I think that we've kind of, it's kind of come full steam now, full circle at this point, just through a whole, uh, a, a whole uh, bunch of circumstances. And I think we're just seeing its full effect. Uh, you know, that being said, you know, going, for instance, I mean, one big thing I guess is worth mentioning is going to the cloud, which I'm a big proponent of. I don't want to scare people off from going to the cloud, but uh, as we went, as we've gone to the cloud, hackers were able to find vulnerabilities in, in how that was structured. And that was how they actually broke into the, the Russia was able to get into the, um, into the federal government back last December. They took down, the, they, they got into the Pentagon, they got into a lot of very sensitive areas because everything had gone to the cloud and there was this vulnerability. And, and the, the irony of the vulnerability is the infrastructure folks, the people that are managing the cloud, kind of say, no, that's an end user problem. You know, your, your laptop, your phone, the people that with the phones and the, and the, uh, and the laptops, I know that that's, a, that's an infrastructure problem. No one took ownership of the problem and then the, vulnerabil- and the vulnerability and, and, the, and then was able to be exploited. So that was, that, was a big, uh, that was a big hack. And I wouldn't be surprised if in you know, a couple months or years, we find out that the current State Department hack that just hit the news is a spinoff of that. Uh, we're also looking at um, you know, Colonial Pipeline. I think that was kind of the, the one that really got everyone's attention when all of a sudden we were waiting in gas, gas lines again because of a ransomware attack. Uh, from, from what I understand, it was a pretty, um, it was like, a, it was a phishing attack and there was a compromised password somewhere in there and that's how they got in. 
I'm not sure about that because everything is kind of muddled. But, you know, what it did do, it, it woke us up to a very traditional company, a pipeline. That's as industrial as it comes. And realize, well, even in old industrial companies are vulnerable to cybersecurity attack. And, you know, we have to, we have to you know, take that into account. So, so nobody, you know, nobody's like, you, nobody could take the attitude that, oh, well, uh, what I do, there's nothing that people could take from me. Or they're, they're, it's not worth hacking. Um, you know, I always go back to the Target hack a couple of years ago. I think it was 2017. I know we've talked about that. Uh, the hackers stole credit card data from Target, and they actually were able to do the hack through um, through an HVAC subcontractor to Target. So, so small companies are targeted because they're a way to get to bigger companies. Uh, we, there was a, a lot of, there was a huge hack a couple of years ago. The Russians, again, hit our energy grid down south and they were to get through through an excavation company that would just clear areas for, um, uh, for the, uh, that before the energy company would put their, their electrical lines in. So, so we're, we're getting, it's, it's a multi-level vulnerability, both technologically and company-wide. And it's by all sorts of bad actors, whether it be foreign countries or criminal units. So everybody, you know, I like to say that not, not uh, cybersecurity is not one size fits all, but everybody needs it. It's so true. And it seems like we're going to need it more and more with even automation and artificial intelligence growing. I mean, it is the future. Even I've seen videos of robots recently and how they're testing robots. So I think we will actually see robots in our future. Yeah, I mean, I don't, yeah, in terms of robots and AI, I mean, I don't think we're going to have like C-3PO or R2-D2 anytime soon. But I mean, I think it definitely will be an automated, a more automated environment, especially in, on, I mean, manufacturing is already automated. But I mean, a lot of other things will be more automated, whether it be customer service, whether it be even marketing, we'll use AI algorithms even more so uh, to kind of tr- start to try to emulate human activity and, and human thought. So, yeah, I agree. I agree. I, you know, refrigerators are Wi-Fi connected now. I mean, and wow. there's, there's smart sensors in them and everything. So everything is slowly getting more and more automated, whether we want it or not. Right. I saw a news story last week where the future of McDonald's or just say any drive-through that may be fully automated without people. Right. And, and then we're talking about, I mean, I think driverless cars, I mean, it, it ebbs and it flows when we talk about that. But I think we will have some sort of driverless vehicle soon. And again, that that proposed that that creates a lot of vulnerabilities across the board. You know, from a cybersecurity perspective, you know, whether it be shutting down and shutting down a transit system, or, or I mean, you could imagine you know what would happen if we're using driverless cars to get in and out of a major city, and all of a sudden they were shut down. The type of economic issues that would happen. Um, Two, there's a lot of data. I mean, when we have the driverless cars, it's not just scooting us around conveniently. It'll be about collecting data. And I mean, that creates a vulnerability as well. So it's all things that we've got to be aware of is I think we should automate and, and try to make our lives easier and be more productive. But at the same time, we have to think in that security mindset. Right. No, that makes a lot of sense as well. Um, what do you think of, I just thought of this because I kept hearing it on the news yesterday. This is, you know, 
somewhat a political question, but um, what do you think of the Taliban being allowed on, on Twitter still? <laughs> I mean, Twitter's policies are Twitter's policies. So uh, I guess the, I guess the, the friction is how does Twitter get to be the judge and jury about what gets on and what doesn't get on? Agreed. It's hard. I, I, I don't, I don't have an answer to that. I yeah. mean, I, I'm assuming that if they, if they see active, the, the active promotion of violence, they will shut, they will shut the Taliban down. I mean, on the flip side, I put my, my former military, military intelligence hat on. I kind of want, I, a part of me would say, let's keep them on Twitter because we can monitor them better. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, so it's a give it, it's, it's a give it take. Um, you know, there was a lot of criticism with, um, when, when politicians in the U.S. kicked off for specific reasons. I, I don't know. I mean, are, do we have different standards across the board? Honestly, I don't have the answer to that. One thing, at least I'll say this, I mean, two points is, which is interesting is one, it has been noted that the Taliban's public relations, and you might appreciate this, have improved a great deal in 20 years where they actually think they're retaining a firm to teach them, you know, that they're speaking good English, they're using, they're using Twitter, they're using television. All that stuff was, television was banned when they were in power before. So they they've, have a slick marketing campaign now. Yeah, that's, that's definitely interesting. I know I'm fascinated by it. I'm sure we've all been glued to the television in the past you know, week or so with everything that's going on. But um, it is fascinating just that the big technology um, tycoons, like you had said, have so much power these days. Yeah, technology companies are acting as the, the jury, the judge and jury on, you know, should someone be banned? Is that concerning? Yeah, I mean... I think that maybe this would be the, probably the subject of a whole nother podcast is antitrust and are, are, are these companies too big where then they control the public square of, of, of discourse. Right. And again, I think I, I, that may be a little bit beyond the scope of the podcast, but it, it's an inner, it's a, it's a debate. I mean, if we had more, if basically if we had more Twitter like companies and more Facebook like companies and more, you know, Google like companies, would we, would we be able to not quote unquote silence someone on the, on the internet? Right. Yeah. So where do you see the state of cybersecurity in the next five to 10 years? Oh, I mean, I think it's going to be, uh, I guess there's two ways. There's, there's going to be, it's going to go in two different directions. First of all, cybersecurity is going to be absolutely vital it'll be um it'll be regulated you'll have to pass checklists uh you'll have to have be have used frameworks uh, especially critical industries dod has already implemented the cmmc framework that every con every supplier and contractor will have to be certified that they're they're protecting contract data properly uh, we saw the the biden administration sign executive orders on the supply chain in dod uh or no, the federal supply chain. And I could easily see all this expanding to, to federal, state, local governments, and then also then private industry. So I see that happening. So, so with that foundational, with that movement, where, where, what do I think will happen? I said, well, one, I think there'll definitely be a professional line of cybersecurity professionals. 
I, I'm going to guess they'll be embedded in accounting firms and they'll be doing cybersecurity audits and framework audits and things like that. And then I also will see, I think, IT providers will have to really up their game and, and IT departments for larger companies and not just you know, check off network security as cybersecurity. They have to move far deeper. Uh, they'll have to integrate more with other departments, human resources and, and operations, and, and, and integrate more closely to provide that, that cybersecurity on the company level. So we'll have, we'll have the, the auditor group, and then we'll have the technology group embedded throughout, throughout the economy. And what tips can you provide to small businesses to help protect themselves? If, you know, some of them might not be able to afford a big cybersecurity firm. So what can they do on the lower end to protect themselves or just by themselves? So first of all, I mean, be prepared to ask the hard questions and not take, oh, we're okay as the answer. It's the first thing. Um, I think that one make sure you have good inventory of your systems. Um, you have a good process to maintain your system. So I mean systems, I mean your hardware, your, your pro- software, your data. Understand how they interact and make sure that you, that you manage them properly, that you're always doing the updates on your software, that you're doing good configuration management, which is doing updates and replacing and, as, as needed. So, so managing that as well. Understand your processes. So how does all that technology fit into what you do on a daily basis in a company? Uh, and then once you understand that, then start looking for the vulnerabilities. Okay, maybe this is a weakness. Maybe this is a vulnerability. How do we mitigate that? Then finally put controls in. And, um, you, should, and you should document. Always have a do- cybersecurity document, a policy with those controls and how you manage them. Uh, and then always review. As new threats come about, review, review, review. Um, and, you know, just to kind of save, just so, you know, you don't have to, you know, eat the hippopotamus one, uh, all at once, you know, also look at, you know, what you think your biggest risks are too. I mean, maybe that's where you start. So if you have this, you know, you know if, you're, if you use HIPAA data, focus on the HIPAA data, the regulated data, focus on the most sensitive and important processes. Uh, and, and do that and then just build outward. But definitely have a cybersecurity policy and, and ask the hard questions. And also don't be afraid to ask your vendors what, how they handle cybersecurity. I mean, too often we give our subcontractors access to our systems or different information. You want to make sure that they have cybersecurity policies in place too. And we've spoken before about phishing. Is there any way to prevent that? I guess that's where the policy, to your point, comes in. If there's a policy in place where, you know, maybe they do some type of like two fact checking, what is it called? Like a two, what is that called when it's like a two-factor authentication? Yes. Maybe there's yeah, I mean, some- that's a control you could put in that I recommend is two-factor authentication. But I mean, in terms of phishing, so I mean, how do people fish? I mean, a lot of different ways now. Email. So you have a strong email filter. Again, it sounds cliche. Check who's sending you the emails. Even if it looks like someone that you know, make sure you check that. Uh, encrypt your emails. I mean, that's that's kind of how you can tighten down your your email. Um, don't give your mobile phone. I mean, phishing. It's called I think mishing now or tishing or something. It's where they try to fish you on your on your mobile phone. Uh, don't give your mobile phone out as much as you. Uh, I know we all do. Okay. Just kind of yeah. Just be a little bit more cognizant of that. Make sure you're you're check you know seeing who's texting you and that sort of thing. 
Don't click on anything. Uh, verify before you click. And then, of course, social media. That's a big thing, right? I mean, we share a lot of things on social media. A lot, there's a lot of opportunities to fish people. There's also, we share a lot of information that could be, um, you know, that, we, that people can use to do a phishing attack, whether it be our hobbies or our interests or our job. I mean, LinkedIn, which is wonderful, right? But I could, you could figure out the line and block chart in the company from LinkedIn and say, oh yeah, I was talking to so-and-so, he told me I should talk to you. And maybe, you know, that sort of thing. It's, it's just, it, that, that's the type of thing. Just, I guess, self-awareness and your digital presence is so critical to preventing phishing attacks in addition to technical controls. Right. That's all good advice because sometimes I think you had told me before you can figure out that someone's password, but just by like Penn state 76, you know, like sometimes it can be just that simple. Yeah. I mean, things like that, or when they do those, those surveys on Facebook, your first concert, well, that's, those are questions for, um, that are usually like your security questions. Yeah, good point. Um, now let's talk about you. I'm so curious about what motivates you and, and gets you excited each morning. I like to hear from people on, um, you know, what keeps them ahead in, in leadership in life and what motivates you. I mean, I like the ability to stay current and take part in innovation. Uh, I think, you know, that's very exciting. And to be involved in a field that, you know, unfortunately, I guess, makes the, the, the headlines in the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal all the time is exciting as well. So you really feel like you're, 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 you're not always, but you could sit back and say, yeah, I'm part of the cutting edge of a, um, of a very important field. Uh, so I guess, you know, that's exciting too. And I, I mean, you know, I like, I like when comp- I get to help companies be better companies. And you know, protect their assets well. I mean, I think that's that's rewarding as well. And then finally, I like teaching and I like instructing and the ability to kind of you know share my insight and experience with other with others, uh, especially college kids, is is exciting as well. Are there any books that you read that you recommend, or do you do any type of morning motivation things that like hype you up? Um, I'm just, you know, I'm always trying to learn from people and I find it interesting what other people do. Is there anything that you kind of like fall back on to keep you upbeat, um, mentally healthy, whether it's looking at quotes, reading certain books, going to, I don't know, certain, it could even be virtual group events now just for some, you know, feedback and whether it's business or your personal life, is there anything, any takeaways that we can learn from you today? Let's see, morning rituals. It should include running, but I've been very lax in that. But, um, uh, you know, I get up in the morning, I get on my Kindle, I read the Post, the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal, New York Times. I don't read the whole thing. I just read, you know, things that point out. Usually watch, um, watch some sort of news as well. Uh, I like Bloomberg. Uh, I like PBS News, like Metro Focus and that sort of thing. So uh, I usually watch, I usually record it the night before then watch it in the morning. So those are some things that I do in the morning before I get started. And of course I take care of all my pets. That's the other morning ritual. Um, at, uh, in terms of reading, uh, you know, I don't know if that's good or bad. I tend not to read a lot of technology books. Um, I usually read a lot of nonfiction history, uh, things like just, uh, you know, whatever interests me or whatever, you know, I, I indulge my 
buying book addiction with at the bookstore. I, you know, I like to read. Uh, usually they're very historical, uh, which I think helps put things in perspective and understand things. You know, when I was, um, I remember I went to, uh, I guess it was the Philadelphia Art Museum many, a couple of years ago. And, you know, what it did was it, it taught me a lesson on technology because those Renaissance, uh, the Renaissance, I looked at the, the Renaissance by the Philadelphia Museum and they were using new methods to communicate messages. And I said, well, they were kind of like the, the, the web entrepreneurs, digital entrepreneurs of their day. They were just using different paints and perspective and things like that to present a humanistic image of, of the subject. Um, and then I said, you know, the, the, the De Medici's and all their patrons, they were kind of like the venture capitalists of their day. So, I mean, I guess that long-winded anecdote was kind of just a way of, you know, when I read history, I'm able to put things today in perspective and understand that the problems we face today, we faced before. Maybe they're a little bit different, but you know, this is this is what people did right to solve them. This is what people did wrong to solve them. I agree. Yeah, I like nonfiction myself, um, but it is interesting. I keep hearing people say that history repeats itself, with you know, especially what's going on in in Afghanistan. So I find that interesting. I need to read more about history, but I do love nonfiction. I was just curious. I'm always curious what leaders do to move themselves forward or what inspires them, and I'm sure other people, you know who listen will love to hear what you do and if there's any kind of interesting rituals or something. I mean, you do have chickens. I think you should tell people about that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do. I do have, I do have some hens that lay eggs for me. Um, so I'm out. I like, I like animals. I do a lot of animal rescue and that sort of thing. Uh, so, and I mean, I enjoy it. So that's, that's pure joy, but they, even if I didn't get the eggs, I, they'd still be pets. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. We have all, we have a menagerie here. So, oh my gosh, I, I think that's actually great. surprised my dogs haven't barked yet. So, same. I thought Maverick, my dog, would start barking. Okay, so just to sum it up, any last minute tips that people could could do to protect themselves, or I guess on a personal level, like I know you work with businesses, but how about people at home now that people are working from home? Say they're a solopreneur or or something to that effect, and any type of is there something that they should do that they don't know about? Or is it all just kind of software updates? You know, if I were to give you a bumper sticker on that, be aware and make security a priority. All the things that they read about strong passwords, just do it. And just, just, just be aware and realize everybody is, is, is vulnerable. Okay. Good advice. Well, thank you so much. I really had fun on the show and I appreciate so your feedback and your advice. And Everyone, how can they find you? What uh, what's your website and social media? I want to make sure before we close out that they know how to www.panaristech.com or Panaris Tech on uh, Panaris Technologies on Facebook or at Panaris Tech. It'll get you get you there. Okay, thank you so much, Joe. Great, thank you. Well, that's it for now. Thanks everyone for joining us. Please reach out to me so I can feature you on my show. I do respond to everyone. You can find me on my Instagram at Jennifer Sherlock or my business Instagram at Jenna.com. And check out our new website coming soon, livewithoutanet.com. Thanks again. And I look forward to taking risks with you.